0: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: If someone is clearly displaying action, and I didn't want to spell it out and delineate it, but you know, it could be verbal action, it could be lifestyle action, it could be something that is clearly seen, noted, visible, undeniable action, and it's in conflict with something clearly spelled out in God's word as God's standard, not your own personal preference, but God's standard, then we have an obligation.
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. You need to be very careful when it comes to judging. Matthew 7 warns that you'll be judged according to the same standard you hold others to. That said, as Pastor Gary clarifies in today's message, this doesn't mean you should always withhold judgment. As a follower of Christ, He reveals truth to you through Scripture and His Holy Spirit. And when you see something that contradicts the clear direction of commands of Scripture, you need to lovingly address the issue with that person. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: James, you know, has a lot to say about speech and, you know, taming the tongue. And, and uh, you know, all of chapter 3 pretty much was was about taming the tongue and watching what we say and... You know, don't don't go to church and, and praise the Lord with, with your mouth and then turn around and, and curse because that's, that, again, is a duplicitous nature. And, and the same thing applies to the way that we should be towards one another. Don't be coming into church and praising God with your mouth and then turning around and speaking evil of other people. That's, that's not a good use of the tongue that God's given you. So don't speak evil. Don't speak down about people. And then the other thing he says there in in these verses is don't judge one another, because basically in doing so, you position yourself in the place of the law and the lawgiver. You know, when we we judge people, we are standing in the place of the law, and we are standing in the place of the Lord himself, who was the lawgiver, which is why James adds there in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy, in other words, and you and I aren't that lawgiver. There's only one. That's the Lord. And so then that's why he asks rhetorically, who are you to judge another? Because there's only one lawgiver, and it ain't you. And it ain't me. Now, something important, when, when, when we talk about you know, not judging others, and that's what this section is speaking of here in part, sometimes people misunderstand the whole concept of judging one another, and, and they just kind of, with a broad stroke, think then that all forms of judgment are wrong which isn't true Uh, and 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 thus people who believe that all forms of judgment are wrong are quick to quote scripture even if they don't know scripture they know this much here it is you ever heard somebody say this i'm sure or have you ever said this don't judge me don't judge me who are you to judge you know the bible says don't judge you're judging me. Don't judge. Okay. Let's just get some context on the whole concept of judging. Okay. Let me, let me, let me just remind us. Not all judgment is wrong. I'm going to read from Matthew 7. You can turn there if you'd like, but you can just listen from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about judgment, because I I want to balance the whole subject of of judging one another by by taking into context um, you know other passages of Scripture, so, so we can carefully understand this subject. So this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, Judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. Now, let's stop reading for just a moment. There's something else very important. He adds... But the first part of this is this warning about, you know, don't, don't be looking at somebody else and pointing out their faults when, in fact, you have the same faults or at least similar faults. Because that's hypocrisy, and that's why he says, you hypocrite. But now listen to the rest of, of verse 5 of Matthew chapter 7. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, question, doesn't that mean then that Jesus is saying Not necessarily all judgment is wrong, but that there's a right way to judge. And based on Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5, what Jesus is basically saying are two things, and this is an important thing. What he's saying is that we are to make right judgments, meaning without hypocrisy, that's number one, and number two, with the intent of helping a brother or sister who was doing something wrong. See, not all judgment is wrong. In other words, if, if, you, if you see that someone is clearly doing something wrong... And you, as a brother or sister, don't intervene enough to call them out in love, making first check of your own heart that you're not doing the same thing and thus be guilty of hypocrisy. You see, when you step into somebody else's life to help them, you have to actually make a judgment. You have to make an assessment. You have to make an evaluation. Don't think all judgment is wrong. Don't think that, well, I can't ever speak into somebody else's life because the Bible says, judge not lest I be judged. Wait a minute. Yes, the Bible says that. Jesus just said it. I quoted it from Matthew 7. But what he says is there's an order, there's a right way, and there's a wrong way. The wrong way is with hypocrisy. We have no business pointing something out in somebody else's life if we're guilty of the same or similar thing. That's the first thing Jesus says. Don't be a hypocrite about it. But he says deal with your own issues. So that then you can be in a better position to lovingly help a brother or sister. But to do that involves some measure of judgment. So we we don't throw the baby out of the bathwater and think, well, all judgment is wrong. We're never supposed to judge another person. Yet there's a right way to do it. Now the question then becomes, well then, how am I supposed to recognize whether or not they're actually doing something wrong in order to interfere or step into the situation and so with that in mind there's an important distinction i want to quote again from jesus this is now john 7 verse 24 where he says do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment you notice that out of john 7 24 jesus actually calls us to make judgments He says it's our responsibility as believers, if we really care about other people, to actually step into the situation and at times actually make judgments. So don't think to yourself, well, we're never supposed to get involved in somebody else pointing out some. No, no, no. Jesus says, do not judge by mere appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's an important distinction here, and I want to point this out, especially for those of you taking notes, write this down. There's an important distinction. There's a difference between being judgmental, which is wrong, and making right judgments, which is right, which is what God, Jesus calls us to there in John 7, 24. There's a difference between being judgmental, that's wrong, we shouldn't be judgmental, but we should make right judgments. Now, What's the difference between those two, and how can we know whether we're being judgmental or whether we are making right judgments, which is what Jesus actually calls us to do? So here's something that I hope will be helpful to you. This is the difference. Being judgmental is the evaluation of appearance based on personal standards. Making right judgments is the evaluation of actions based on God's standards. You see that difference? Being judgmental is when we play the game of evaluating people based on what it appears to be. And we don't even know all the facts. Appearances are dangers. When people start making assessment of other people's lives based on appearance without knowing all the facts, and we measure those things based on our personal standards, or like our personal preferences, that's being judgmental. Okay, you might have certain convictions about something that is not necessarily spelled out in Scripture. All right, whatever it might be. There's a number of things that you might have personal convictions about that's not necessarily clearly spelled out as a standard in God's Word. It's just your personal conviction. The danger becomes when you start to impose that personal conviction on other people, and you may not do it verbally, but in your heart you're doing it because you're looking at what they do, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not right. I would never do that. And then you become judgmental in your heart towards them. So being judgmental is evaluating appearances based on personal standard. And let me just caution all of us, myself included. There's a real danger in drawing conclusions based on appearance and it's done a lot of damage to people where where you don't have all the facts but you know you're gathering enough information based on appearance or hearsay or something and you're drawing conclusions let me tell you in case you haven't learned the hard way (laughs) when you start to evaluate people Based on hearsay or appearance and not having all the facts because it's not clearly displayed by action, it's very, very dangerous to draw conclusions. You need to refrain from making judgments and drawing conclusions based on mere appearances. You may not have all the information right, okay? You may not have all the information right. Now, on the other hand, if someone is clearly displaying action, and I didn't want to spell it out and delineate it, but you know, it could be verbal action, it could be lifestyle action, it could be something that is clearly seen, noted, visible, undeniable action, and it's in conflict with something clearly spelled out in God's word as God's standard, not your own personal preference, but God's standard. Then we have an obligation, and the obligation first is okay. I want to examine my own heart. I want to make sure I don't have wrong motives in confronting somebody i want to make sure i'm not guilty of the same kind of thing going on in my own heart if so i'm not qualified to speak into this person's life and so someone else is going to have to do that all right you get through the hypocrisy test first does isn't say it isn't to say that any of us is perfect none of us is but at least we're not going to be hypocritical because we're guilty of the same thing or something similar we might have our own issues that we're working on right so as long as there's not hypocrisy then, and it's clearly a violation in some kind of act or verbal thing of God's standard, then out of love for brother or sister, we should go to them. We should go to them privately. And, and you know, we should confront. We, we should talk honestly. We should talk openly. We You know, we shouldn't, again... Don't look down on them. Don't speak down on them. Don't speak evil of them. Don't gossip about it. Don't start telling other people, you know what? We need to get together and have a prayer meeting for so-and-so because I think so-and-so is doing this and that, you know, oh my goodness, how Christians can get together and wrap it in Christian ease and, and what it really is is gossip and slander and backbiting and all that kind of nonsense. I mean, listen, just go to a brother or sister, just privately between you and him or you and her and say, listen. This is clear what you're doing. It's pretty obvious. And this is a violation of Scripture. And let me, let me just even show you some verses here that weigh on my heart. And can we just pray about this? Because I love you enough to be honest with you to tell you the truth. And I've said this before. I think one of the highest forms of respect you can show someone is to speak the truth to them. And to speak the truth in love. Because you care enough. So when James writes here, I just wanted to go off on that little side tangent. Because when James writes here about, you know, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. We need to balance it with all of scripture and take into consideration other things that Jesus says about judging, that there's actually a right way and a wrong way, but it doesn't mean that we should completely check out and never speak into somebody else's life. There's a distinction between being judgmental, and which is wrong, and making right judgments, which is right, and we do it for the sake of people that we love examining our own hearts first. Everybody clear on that? Good? Okay. Let's keep reading verse 13. Let's finish out the chapter. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go in such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor. Circle that word. Some of your translations say mist It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So let's save that last verse for the end, but in the last few minutes I have left. Verses 13 through 16. He speaks here about the uncertainty of life. And he's, he's not denying the fact, I'm sure, that there's anything wrong with having plans and setting goals. But what he's addressing is the issue of don't be presumptuous about tomorrow because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And we, ne- we need to live each day to its fullest. Again, sure, plan, prepare, I hope you have, you know, you're looking towards retirement and you're thinking about, you know, a retirement plan. It's it's not to say, well, you know, only be concerned about today, but it, he's simply saying don't be presumptuous about the guarantee of tomorrow because we don't have that guarantee. And so he says it's better just to kind of say, you know, if the Lord wills, we'll do this, if the Lord wills, we'll do that. I'm not always sure what the Lord wills for tomorrow, next year, 5 years down the road. And and so we just want to be faithful to to today and and not and not think to ourselves, oh yeah, yeah, uh, we're guaranteed to mark, because we're not. We don't know. And he likens life to a vapor. Or again, some of your translations say, like a mist. Um, it vanishes. Th- this is the temporal nature of life. We, we forget sometimes how precious life is. And we forget sometimes how fragile life is um we do, you know god knows the beginning of our days from the end but we don't and and so we have to live in such a way that we recognize not guarantee tomorrow life is like a mist in fact the bible just wanted to point out a, a few things that the bible compares life to number 1 is a vapor a mist that what we're reading here in james chapter 4:14 4, but also in psalm 78:39 life is like a passing breath it says in that passage, For he remembered that we were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Or life is also in the Bible compared to withering grass. In First Peter 1, 24 and 25, it says, Because all flesh is as grass and, uh, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then the question becomes, for all of us, when this life is over, as short as it is, that's the comparison in all these terms. It's like vapor, it's like mist, it's like breath, it's gone, it's like grass. Where will you go? Where will you spend eternity? Now, every single one of us needs to settle that. If you're here tonight, you're, un- you're unsettled about that. We-, we, need to- we need to get that settled even before you leave. If you, if you ask some people, what is life like after death? What is your concept of life after death? You're going to get a variety of answers. If you ask a Jehovah's Witness, for example, what is life like after death? They, they tell you something called soul sleep. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that when you die, your body goes in the ground and you stay there. Your soul is asleep in the ground until the return of Christ and then you come to life. If you ask a Hindu what happens to you when you die... They will talk to you about reincarnation. And their belief system is that when you die, you get reincarnated, and not always as another human being. You could become reincarnated as an animal. You could be reincarnated as an object, which is the why. I mean, think about, think about just the, the insanity of that. Okay, I'm going to use that word because you. If, I've never been to Calcutta, India, but just look at pictures of abject poverty and starvation in the streets of Calcutta, India. Why? While cows walk freely all around, which could be a delicious hamburger for somebody, but why don't they kill the cows and feed the starving children on the streets of Calcutta? Because that cow could be Uncle Charlie. That cow could be Uncle Charlie, who's been reincarnated as a cow. We don't want to kill the cow because then we'll be, we'll be killing Uncle Charlie. Kill the cow feed some people. But see, in that religious form, they don't want to do that because that's what reincarnation is about. All right, let me tell you what the Bible says. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians and he talks about how to be present, to be absent from the body, the 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right, what Christianity teaches is that When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, here's what happens at death. Your body separates from your spirit. Your spirit leaves your body and goes to be with the Lord. Now your body gets buried in the ground and returns to dust. Your your physical body is composed of the same 17 chemical elements as dirt. Hydrogen, oxygen, and 15 other trace chemicals. So you're created from the dust of the earth and to the dust of the earth you shall return. Whether it's natural decomposition over about 30 years or whether it's through cremation, which is about 30 minutes. Take your pick, it doesn't really matter. You're going back to dust. All right? But here's the beauty. In knowing Christ as your Savior, upon death, your spirit separates from your body, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, your your body returns to dust. And then on one glorious day... When the Lord returns, the dead in Christ shall rise. Now, what that means is your glorified body comes up out of the grave, reunites with your spirit so that you can be then like Christ, because Christ received a glorified body after he rose from the dead. And we shall be like him, the Bible teaches us. So one day we'll get a glorified body and, and it will never perish, spoil or fade. Never sag or droop or ache. All right? Never break. All right? And if you're young, you can't appreciate what I'm saying. But the older you get, you appreciate. Praise God, you get a new tent. Amen. There's a reason why the Bible compares the human body to a tent. Because if you've ever been camping, you know the parallel, you know the similarities. Tents leak, tents smell. Hands are fragile. They tear. All kinds of things, okay? But the Bible tells us that one day we get a glorified body that's imperishable, unites with our spirit, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. So as, as much as death is an unknown for us as Christians, it's just a transition. You know what? When Billy Graham died, uh, his son Franklin talked about how, you know, his dad always mentioned that, you know, when I die, it's it's not that it's not the end of me, right? He says, "It's just I got a new address," and that's the way it is for a believer. We get a new address so that we can be with the Lord forever, and so nothing to fear. It's an unknown, and in that it seems a little fearful. But to know what Scripture teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is the glorious hope of the church.
0: Your new life. Following Jesus isn't a one time decision. It's a daily choice to put your desires aside and seek your Savior for His opinion. It's determining that your actions are going to reflect what you believe today. It's every morning giving your heart back to God because it can't be about you. The book of James is helpful in that it gives you practical advice on how to do this every day how to be the hands and feet of Jesus to everyone you meet. We're so glad you took time today to study this New Testament letter with us. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you are. How could we be lifting you up in prayer during this study? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. We'd love to have you come join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still, you know.